Hello, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to the Heavy Hole. My oh, name is Tom. Oh, my name is Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. It's a build-up. It's a build-up. What are we doing? Hey, guys. Justin here. Oh, Justin. Hi, Justin. You don't know. It's suspenseful. The listeners don't know if you're going to be here nowadays. Do you remember? Yeah, do you remember the time? The time I was here before... And I wasn't on a boat catching weak fish. Yeah, they're all wow. weak when you're in the <laughs> when you're in the water. My man. knees are weak. Jesus, yeah. SWV weak in the knees. Classic hit single. Tom, how you doing? Oh, doing real good. A little weak in metal, and by that I mean my life. <laughs> Everything's weak. Everything's weak. What is up with this? I don't know. It's all weak. Uh, no, no. Weak. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, what? I went to the dentist today. Hell yeah, dude. Jesus. Uh, apparently, my dentist had to say belly button ring. How do you? How did you find when he was reaching up to, well, to your mouth? You his shirt came up she's and you about saw a fifty-three-year-old woman. Oh, um, I don't know why I assumed she's it very was a nice. Man. And her reasoning for getting the ring, which I thought was pretty interesting, was that um, if she was ever in a plane crash, that's like one part of the body that like uh, doesn't like they don't need to identify her or rip apart her head to yeah. make sure it's her if, they, if she has a belly button ring. Okay, pragmatic. pragmatic. Yeah, and I was just like, you sound like a dentist. Yeah. This is uh, must be depressing. Stay off a death metal cover because you'll I, be uh, disemboweled. Yeah, is she uh, single? I I'm intrigued. <laughs> no, she was telling me about her son, her husband. She's a delightful woman, really is. She sound depressed when she was talking about the husband, dude. If you look up stats on, <laughs> I just want to know. <laughs> look, I know. Look up stats on dentists; they're all depressed. Okay. it's very very sad. Wow. Uh, but she's a sweetheart, uh, and she just opened up to me about this, uh, which was fun. I'm coming off this today with a clean bill of teeth and uh, some new found information about my lovely dentist. New found look at uh, the utility of yeah. belly button rings. Yeah. Like That's interesting. Yeah, dude. That's uh, interesting. Yeah, so if you ever got flung out of a fucking plane. <laughs> get, get your belly button pierced. Yeah, get yeah. your belly button pierced. Does she, you. does she do many cross-country dentistry ch- trips to where her... Uh, this this would, might be like... Uh, <laughs> I can't confirm or deny, but let me ask you. How have your cross-country trips been, Justin? Uh, it's pretty on? good. I also saw a dentist this week. Yeah. Uh, I saw uh, Dr. Britt Baker, uh, AEW Women's Champion. Oh. Uh, went to the old uh, AEW uh, Grand Slam at Arthur Ashe Stadium in lovely Queens, New York. Oh, okay. Beautiful uh, event. Amazing. Yeah. Had great seats with the old ball and chain. This is a great time. We were on TV the entire time. Yeah, you were seeing right across there some really great photos. Great photos. captures of you crying. Yes. Through your pit vipers. Uh, cry. Uh, uh. You could see my tears through through my beautiful money counters that I was wearing over my face. Do the pit vipers work like a... They should make pit vipers that are like a mood ring. So the, the pit viper like glasses change hue depending on your emotion. That's yeah. great. Yeah, it's a like good that. idea. That's fun. Um, but it, yeah, it was nice. It was a nice time. Saw my thing. Saw my boys. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, a lot of high flying. A lot of uh, yeah, a lot of flips, a lot of fists, a lot of bumps, a lot of spots, a lot of scares, a lot of chanting. I was clapping the whole time. Is what I, what I heard. Right. And then we left early uh, before my favorite Japanese pro wrestler came out to beat the traffic, uh, which I heard was terrible. Well. I don't know. You're in New York City there. Come for the traffic. Stay for the traffic. Stay for the damn... Stay for the old traffic. I mean, I, I understand it, like, takes, like, six hours to get from Staten Island to Nassau County. So, I mean, like, beat beat the traffic is a relative term. It yeah. was amazing. We beat the traffic. We got out of there in about ten minutes. 
ordered Taco Bell on the way home. It was there waiting for us like a like like a better dog waiting on your step. All you right. know what I mean? It was a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, so that's I, yeah, it was a great time wrestling and you know uh, fishing after, which is nice always. Uh, Will, curious. I I feel like I've been in a wrestling match, uh, a shoot, if you will. Is that why you have that beautiful gold belt on you? Uh, yeah, no, that's that's a whole. I'm trying to, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to peacock for this dentist. Tom's telling me about. <laughs> Got to step up my game out here. I'll no. give you her business card. After. Yeah, th- no, I've got the business card. I've been stalking. No, I haven't. Listen, uh, yeah, I, I took my nephew to the playground yesterday, and I built a deck today. Uh, yes, I, I feel like I've been stone cold stunned and suplexed and body slammed and everything. I feel like I've been through. I feel like I've been through a Royal Rumble. And I was like the second to last guy. Like I almost won a Royal Rumble. Sure. And and like I got my ass can- like handed to me the whole time, but I was just hanging on. And it was just like me and like let's uh, let's say uh, one of the nasty boys. Let's you know, yeah, like, like knobs. Yeah, like yeah, it's like like something like believable with yeah. me. Like I wouldn't be like one of the last man standing with like the Rock or something. But, like, one of the nasty boys, we could kind of do that. I like it. Yeah. I'm, uh, give me that. Give me that. You have it. Give me that. Boom. All right. So, so I almost went to, like, a rap. Let me ask you. start rapping. You're here. building a deck. Yeah. Why didn't you call me? I just got this new drill. I've been dying to try out. Because I use my father's Makita. Oh. Oh, that man. Not using that would have been, like, a family insult. So I, you're a Makita uh, guy. The same reason why I don't go fishing with Justin. Actually. Yeah, because you, you don't want to upset your father. There's a very like complicated <laughs> hierarchy of like family traditions that yeah. all involve either fishing or carpentry. Okay. Yeah. Tom Tom doesn't come fishing with me for the same reason, but for different reasons. Like well, his dad has different reasons why he would be upset. My dad. Yeah, my dad. Well, it doesn't matter. Yes. Um. So how'd the deck go? Um. It's level. Good. Amazing. It's straight. Um. Dimensions? Good question. Five foot seven inches by eight foot. I got that off the top of my head. That's oh, good. Yeah. Don't, don't try me. Uh, uh, cedar, pine, mahogany. Uh, Deck line. That, that's, that's classified. I don't want to get okay. into that. All I have right. stalkers. They, I don't want them to know the, the, the specs. The quality of um, the cedar. Yeah. yeah. Only one inch thick on the wood. Yeah, okay. Top there. You know what I mean? I didn't go any. Um, but wood, as we know, can be shaved. Yes. Thinner. Thinner and thinner it goes That's until right. it's no longer plywood whittled for your deck. It's yeah. paper. Paper mm. comes from trees, Justin. Did you know that? I found that out in research for this interview. I thought paper comes from uh, a printer. I thought paper came yeah. from the Fed. You would because you're a modern-day young kid, <laughs> young guy. Paper's that paper. That's the thing by the toilet. Yeah. Listen, paper comes from trees. Did you know that before we had... The Heavy Hole Podcast, the only extreme metal podcast worth listening to. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, Did you know before we had um, an abundance of podcasts and YouTube channels and all this sort of thing, people used to type up on typewriters about heavy metal music and print it out on paper and disperse it to the land. They would make podcast books? What is that? Yeah, what? No. They didn't, they, yeah. They, they used to have these special podcast books that they called scenes many years ago. All right, enough joking around. Our guest this evening is none other than Chris Forbes, 
longtime editor dating back to 1986 Whoa. of Metalcore, we- uh, now Webzine. He, he took it digital in 2001. We're going to talk about all 31 paper issues. They make paper out of trees. It's, it's amazing. We're going to talk oh, about yeah. it. Trees. We're going to talk about uh, how he procured this paper. We're going to talk about how he procured these interviews and how things were vastly different before the advent of the internet, gentlemen. I think the term is BCE. Mm-hmm. Be- Listen, before I, paper era. I want to talk to him. <laughs> Write him a letter, put glue over the stamps, and then put the steam on the glue so I get my stamps back and use them next time I talk to him. Do yeah. I have to read to be able to listen to this one? Yes. Okay. On the phone. Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, joined by my co-host Tom and Justin. Hello. And today, our special guest is none other than Chris Forbes of the long-running Metalcore Zine and Metalcore website. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing great, man. Thank you for uh, joining us, man. We appreciate it. And as I mentioned, you are the long-running um, uh, founder and editor of Metalcore Zine, uh, which went digital in 2001, if I'm not mistaken, right? That's correct. Yep. After uh, 31 issues of a print zine, uh, uh, yeah, I, I decided, you know, because the internet has started to grow, and I decided to branch off and started uh, doing my website. And I was going to actually do both for a while. Actually, I did both early on. And then I decided after issue 31, uh, you know, with the internet growing and print zines kind of starting to fold by the wayside. Uh, I mean, it was actually no problem for me because uh, after issue 25, I actually started going in uh, newsprint, and I was pr- I was giving them away for free, and I was actually printing 10,000 of them up. And so I was going to like when I would go to shows, you know, doing the bands like last song, I would run out to my car, and as people were leaving, I was just handing them yeah. my fanzine, either or if I knew the bands that were playing. I would just bring like a stack of a hundred my copies of my latest issue and just leave them over by my uh, the merchandise table. And it was a store that actually, sadly, just closed. I don't know if you guys have heard it since you've been up in New York, called Vintage Vinyl, which was up in Fords, New Jersey. Uh, that was a big, big metal uh, store. I went to there a, a lot of times when I was younger. That's how I discovered a lot of early. Uh, metal magazines like Kerrang, Metal Forces, and fanzines and stuff. I, actually, they sold probably from my issues like four or five all the way up to my last one. When I would print a new issue out, I was bringing like 500 copies up in my trunk and dropping them off up there because it was such a big... This thing was a huge store. I mean, they stocked a lot of underground metal, import metal and stuff like that. And they finally closed their doors after 35 years. The two people that owned it, uh, you know, I shouldn't say sadly, but they uh, they went into retirement. So a lot of people up here in New Jersey were very sad about that. But, uh, you know, so, yeah, the, with the Internet starting to really take off, I mean, this is before Facebook and uh, even MySpace and all that. 
yeah, I decided to start going uh, digital, and then eventually I decided to just branch off and do the, um, you know, the fanzine on the internet side of things. Okay, all right, man. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot there, and I, I do remember in the late 90s, uh, there was a period where a lot of the underground zines went newsprint for, uh, for economical reasons. I want to I, I want to get get to all that, but we usually start right at the beginning, Chris. So we want to get into um, a little bit about uh, just if you're originally from uh, New Jersey, and maybe if there like what was there the influence to get into hard rock and heavy metal? Were there family members already into it, or um, what was it friends or anything like that? Like like as a young man uh, growing up, how did you get into heavy metal in the first place? All right, um, I'm 56 years old, and I grew up, and I've always been in South Jersey. And I would say probably around 10 or 11 years old, my brother, who was four years older, had started, you know, he was a big Kiss fan. And when I saw the cover of Kiss Alive, you know, I was like, whoa, who the hell are these guys? And, I mean, obviously through the years I've read that, you know, many musicians and all that were blown away by, you know, Kiss Alive and, you know, Ted Nugent and, you know, well, not even ACDC yet, but just a lot of that hard rock in the mid-70s. I remember one of the first albums I bought when I was 10 years old was by this uh, English band called Sweet, and they had a song called Fox on the Run or Action and stuff like that, which is like with, that was like popish rock, I guess you could say, you know, that got played on uh, AM radio and all that. But my brother introduced me to like, you know, Kiss, and then it was Ted Nugent with like with Cat Scratch Fever, and you know, of course, Black Sabbath and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, just from starting to get into that, you know, I started to listen to hard rock and all that. And it, like I said, it branched off a little bit later on when I started going up to vintage vinyl. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, as I got a little bit older, you know, I'm picking up, you know, I used to always read. I was always reading, I'm sure maybe, I don't know how old you guys are, but Cream Magazine was a store that was on the regular newsstands. It came out weekly. Uh, Circus was week, I think, monthly in, in the beginning when I was a lot, lot old, uh, younger. And then eventually I had a subscription to Circus, which was like a, a rock magazine. You know, it was Hit Parader, you know, and they had stuff. Oh, there was another band called Angel that Gene Simmons had discovered. They never got big for whatever reason, but I loved all six of their albums. And uh, so that was another band that, you know, I really, really got into. And, you know, I got a subscription to Circus and I used to always, you know, look for new bands in there and stuff. But when I saw going to, I remember the first time I went to Vintage Vinyl, I picked up this magazine called Kerrang! I'm like, magazine from England, you know. And then there was stuff all, of course, the new wave of British heavy metal. You know, Saxon and stuff like that was in there, Judas Priest, you know, and just bands like that, you know, Iron Maiden and stuff like that. And then, you know, of course, MTV had come out before they played a lot of that disco and dance music. Way back in the day when MTV first started out, I remember there was a band called The Buggles. They had a song called Video Killed the Radio Star, which is ironic because, you know, MTV at its height, if you didn't have a video on MTV that was a big hit, I mean, even this is for like a popish band or even rock, you really didn't make it. But I mean, there was just so many rock bands I started discovering. I mean, you know, Saxon Wheels of Steel and Denim and Leather and then Iron Maid with Run to the Hills and Number of the Beast and then, you know, Judas Priest, you got another thing coming. 
I would go home from school, because this is when I was a sophomore into a junior and then it was a senior. I would run home from school and put MTV on, and that's, you know, they were playing just a lot of rock songs, you know, like Night Ranger even and stuff like that. And then, you know, when Ozzy broke off from Black Sabbath, and then you had Ryan G. and Steo singing, and then, you know, all kind of stuff like that. And, I mean, I would go up to Vintage Mile like every couple of weeks looking for the next, because Kerrang! was every week. You know, and then eventually I discovered Metal Forces, and that led me to discovering, you know, demo bands. You know, if you want to start asking me about that, but that's what ended up le leading me to see, you know. And then of course there was, you know, you know, like Venom and some bands like that were getting. I mean, I think Kerrang back then was kind of making fun of Venom, you know, with all the makeup and the, and the, you know, the Satanism in their lyrics and stuff like that, but. I was always very much into Reed. I still am. You know, I buy the, I mean, you guys are from New York. I buy the New York Post down here every day. We get it. When I, I drop my kids off, and they go to um, the bus. I go right over to the local Wawa and I pick up the New York Post. And I, that's the first thing I do when I read in the morning. <laughs> I love it. You're making me hungry. I miss Wawa. I haven't been down to Jersey in a while. <laughs> but, um, all right. Well, there's, so there's a lot there, man. And, uh, uh, I like I like that you lead off with the magazines and and the reading because we interview a lot of artists, a lot of musicians, and we've interviewed some people from record labels and things like that. I don't know that we've ever had a long running zine editor uh, and kind of like underground metal journalist on. So I wanted to get into that aspect of it because I think even like like our our format right now, what we do with the podcast, it's very indicative of where we are right now. Everything is internet. Everything is too much information all day long, all the time. But when with the times you're talking about when you got into metal, there was still a lot of mystery, I think, in heavy metal. And we've talked about this on the show before, how back before the spread of information was so prevalent, uh, even like pro wrestling uh, and heavy metal, I think both back then had a lot more mystery and like what they call kayfabe in pro wrestling. W would, you, would you agree to your recollection that like heavy metal... Um, I think had 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 a little bit more of a, a mystery to the image back then. Um, yeah, I would absolutely say that. I mean, you know, I mean, heavy metal. It's just like you know, there wasn't a lot. Of, I shouldn't say there wasn't a lot of metal bands, but obviously back then, you know, the, the you know the new wave of British heavy metal. It you know it took off over in England, but obviously over here it was never a big thing. Of course, now Laws Ehrlich. I mean, can you imagine if there was never a new wave of British heavy metal or if Lars never got into that? There, you know, as much as people want to shit on Metallic and all that, if Lars didn't like that and didn't live over in California, just think about this. If he didn't like that, if Brian Slagle didn't say to him, if you get together a band, you know, I'll put you on Metal Massacre 1. Just think about how that worked for so Metal Massacre 1 comes out. Brian Slagle starts Metal Blade Records. He signs Slayer. And then you start seeing all these other labels start coming. And then, you know, Johnny T gets involved. He signs Metallica. They kick out Dave Mustaine. I mean, you know, he forms Megadeth. I mean, it's just the whole chain of events. The new wave of British heavy metal, again, I'm not from England. I don't know how big it was over there. It seems like it was more like a cult thing, except for like Maiden. Priest wasn't part of that, but Maiden and some of the other bands, but like look at all the bands Metallica covered on that, you know, Diamond Head. They never got big. 
you know, and those those bands on that 598 EP, those bands never got big. Angel Witch and all these other bands from that new wave of British heavy metal, they never, they were just like a cult thing. But yeah, metal, you know, I mean, back when I was growing up, you had to search, it's so easy now, obviously. Kids are spoiled, they have no idea how it is it used to be. Like, you know, when I had that subscription to Circus, I, the mailman would come every day. And I'll get into this more when we start talking about demos and all that. But when I saw, but when the mailman would deliver and a new Circus issue would be out, now granted, it wasn't like, you know, obviously metal wasn't all in there, but like, you know, when Van Halen would have a new record out, I mean, there's a band that completely blew me away. Speaking of like rock, Friggin' 1978, I'm 13 years old, I go into a record store, and there's that cover of Van Halen with, you know, David E. Roth, you know, doing splits in his leather pants, Eddie Van Halen's guitar, like with that orange almost on fire, Michael Anthony with smoke coming out of his drums, uh, bass, and Alex Van Halen with the smoke coming off his sticks. And to talk more about your question, yeah, heavy metal's always been kind of, you know, I mean, MTV, even though, I mean, they really didn't play a lot of metal. They played more rock on their channel. And of course, you know, eventually they pushed a lot of that, you know, not metal stuff. It was a lot of that glam and, you know, hard rock, you know, not the hair metal, as they call it. I hate even saying the word metal, but they pushed a lot of that stuff on the headbangers ball. I would stay up till quarter to three to see freaking creator play to Toxic Trace or Violence, World in a World, or an old Ted Nugent song or something. I mean, excuse me, a Testament song and all that back then. Because kids don't realize, back then, the only way you would see a band would be is a, a picture in a magazine where you would see the band live. Now you can just go click on YouTube and you can type a band in and there's, you know, obviously bootleg shows on there. There's official band videos from their record labels and all that, I mean... Perfect example is like, you know, Immolation. I'll just throw them out since I used to manage them. You know, they've been around forever. You know, when they had their first demo at 1988, they didn't have any videos. I mean, now they're on Nuclear Blast, and, uh, you know, they always have official video. Everybody was trying to get pictures of them without their makeup. I mean, think about that now. Kiss would have no shot of being able to go around without pictures, without their makeup. But back then, it was years. I remember the Post, page six, was trying to get pictures of them without their makeup. And then for years, they I don't how they did it, I don't know. They're playing live, and someone can't just sneak one of them old cameras and take a picture of the band without makeup. I mean, but yeah, that would be unheard of now. No, I mean, those cameras God, were with pretty cell big. Phone, with cell phone cameras, God, you can get anything nowadays. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. Well, that that's, that speaks to how different things were back then. And something I want to get into, um, I want to get into the zine and how it was to run to operate a zine back in the day. But here's the question, because the stuff you're talking about, you have in common with a lot of artists we've spoken to who grew up in that era. Um, talking about the MTV and, and uh, you know, getting into Kiss and all that sort of thing. And But... but um, did you ever have aspirations as a musician? Uh, um, with it, did you ever aspire to sing or to play an instrument, or did you always gravitate towards writing about it and towards being inquisitive uh, of the artists? Well, the funny thing about it is, way when I was young, 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 I did take 
some guitar lessons from my next door neighbor. I really wasn't into it much, so I kind of just, you know, kind of just gave up on that idea. I probably found it too hard back then. I'm probably maybe I was 10 or 11 years old. But uh, believe it or not, it's going to be a funny thing. I actually did sing in a band. I used to manage a band way before Immolation called, uh, it was me and the guy Mike Minnick. We, we, Mike was a promoter, and I helped him book a lot of shows down at this local club called Bonnie's. We bought like Overkill, we bought Nuclear Assault, Hollow's Eve, and a bunch of other bands. Like South Jersey didn't really have a lot of uh, underground metal bands, like Faith of Fear, I'm sure you might have heard of them. They were on Combat, they were on that Ultimate Revenge 2 videotape. Anvil Bits was over from Philly. But we had managed a band called Deadly Blessing, and we got them signed to New Renaissance Records, and they put an album out called Ascend from the Cauldron. Kind of like a power metal band. The singer Ski, you know, was a you know had like the clean voice singing. Kind of like I mean, like a Fate's Warning type of band. Their album did pretty good. But the funny thing about it is the one guitar player, Tony Scro, he wasn't into a lot of that thrash stuff. And I used to always break his balls about it. Like you know, the Exodus, the Classic. Even though he was into power metal, of course I liked all the faster stuff and some of the death metal stuff like SOD and all that was coming around, that nuclear assault. So we were joking around one night down in the, their, their practice room was down in the cellar and Tom and Wayne and Nick, the other three members in the band, uh, were like, we were joking around down in the practice room and I grabbed the microphone and I just started singing like an SOD song or something like that. Well, we ended up forming what was like a joke band called the log in the toilet and now how that name came about was at Denny's we used to go to a local Denny's after all the shows at Bonnie's these were shows on Sunday nights and they had to be over by 10 o'clock because it were like matinee shows so we would all usually go over and hang out at Denny's Denny's and all night the one night all night the baby. one night go ahead. Mm. so the one night in the bathroom I took a big shit and I clogged the toilet so we called the band up. We actually recorded the demo, and I got rid of like 3,000 of them. This is back in like 89. We actually played some shows live, and we did a cover of Slayer South of Heaven just because that was so easy to learn for them. And we did um, Sit Home and Rock by Murphy's Law. That was our whole set list. And the funny thing about it is, Tony started to get jealous at one point, and I wouldn't let him join the band. <laughs> I said, no. No, you don't like a lot of this thrash stuff. No. Because that was big when Crossover was a big thing with DRI, too. I said, no, you only like that power metal stuff. You ain't joining the band. We played live like about seven times. And I remember we got a really good review in Maximum Rock and Roll, which was like the hardcore Bible back then yeah, in California. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, it was, the demo was just handwritten songs. We didn't have a cover or anything like that. And I used to dub them on like a double cassette thing. And I just, they were three hours and I just kept making them. And of course, since I was doing my zine, I would just send them out everywhere to get reviewed. But yeah, that's funny. I mean, somebody actually, I mean, I, I don't have a cassette player now. Luckily a friend was able to dub me. I have a copy of it on a CDR. I've had a couple people tell me, now see, that's the only copy I have. I don't want to send that through the mail. I've had people tell me they would like to dub the demo and put it on YouTube. I mean, which 
would be great if it's somebody I could drive over their house and have them do the demo right there and then. But of course, I don't have a dual CDR thing here, which kind of sucks. <laughs> so I did sing in a bit, sing but more yell than abandon all that. But other than that, no, I was never in a band other than that, you know. And of course, you know, now I know you guys are probably going to ask me how I started writing a fanzine. Is that going to be the next question? Well, yeah, I wanted to get there. We, I mean, we know from your website that in 85 you were a contributor to Total Thrash Zine and the editor Scott Hellick suggested you start up your own zine, which is where you came to do Metalcore, right? Yeah. Actually, what what, uh, what led me to start actually even writing, too, was to go back even farther. My father, uh, Gordon Forbes, who uh, used to write for the... Uh, he used to be a sports writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer. He used to cover the Philadelphia Eagles. Boo, they suck. I'm so glad they lost last night. I hate them. And I hate the fans around here. Biggest Whoa. loser fans in the world. I was so mad they won the Super Bowl. Hell yeah. But, uh, shout, I was, shout I was to so glad listeners. to see them get their ass whipped last Fuck night. off, Eagles. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so my father my father used to write for the Inquirer, and then he moved on when USA Today, which is a national newspaper, mm-hmm. they wanted to have, you know, people were always, I remember my dad telling me, Everybody was scoffing at having a national newspaper. It would never work. And they took a chance on my dad, and they made him the sports editor of the USA Today. This is when that paper was selling a lot more copies than it does now. And uh, he kind of helped me with, like, the writing and all that. And, you know, he was like, I just saw the way he would write and the passion and all that. And, yeah, I, I mean, at that point, I started buying fanzines. At that point, it, it came more from, like, it graduated from, like, the Kerangs and the Metal Forces. I remember when I used to go up to the club, I'm sure you've heard of it, obviously, Lemoore's in Brooklyn, New York. Of course, yeah. I remember one night, I went up there with the drummer and Anvil Bitch. We went up there to see Overkill. And on the way there, we stopped off at Johnny Zazola's Rock and Roll Heaven store when it was in Old Bridge. And that's the first time I actually saw some actual fancy. And I saw Kick-Ass Monthly, Bob Madowney, rest, rest in peace. I think he's the best writer ever. Um, I saw a copy of his fanzine, and I think I might have picked up Metal Mania, which is uh, Ron Quintinia, I think that's his la- how you spell his last name. His fanzine was on. And then all of a sudden now, I'm starting to discover the world of fanzines. And I think then Vintage Vinyl was also starting to sell some fanzines too. And all of a sudden now, I'm discovering, instead of just like, there's more the, the life than Slayer, Overkill, you know, the Testaments, the Megadeth, the Metallicas. Now I'm starting to discover, holy shit, there's all these unsigned bands selling demos. I mean, obviously, back then, too, I was also going to see Anvil Bitch, who were unsigned at the time. They ended up putting one out by the Renaissance. But... You know, yeah, I was starting to see some shows, and then I started bumping into Scott Healy, who was selling Total Fresh, which, yeah, he was one of the first fanzine editors, too. And I bought I bought a couple uh, issues from him, and I asked him one day, I said, oh, would you, you need any contributors? And he said he was looking for some. So, yeah, I started sending him some stuff over, because I was over in Jersey, and I was sending him over the stuff over to Philly. And then I think at a show, he might have suggested, Chris, you know, you had got some kind of, you know, you look like, you know, you're really sending a lot of stuff on it. Why don't you, you know, I think you should start up your own fanzine. So I took it up as a challenge and uh, I, I did that. The first issue came out around the end of 86 
And the name of the fanzine came from uh, this uh, weekly magazine used to come out called Aquarium Weekly. And I would go pick it up at Vintage Vinyl all the time. And, you know, it was free. And a lot of it had, this is how you used to see, finding out about shows is almost impossible now, but we can talk about it later if you want. But I would pick this up on the way out and bring it home. There was ads for all these clubs in New Jersey. And, I mean, Christ, back in the 80s and early 90s, clubs in New Jersey were everywhere. You know, you had the Stone Pony. You had a friggin' Escape Club up there. Yeah, I think yeah, there's a club called Ravens playing up there in November. Escapades is open. Oh, the, I forget the name of the club, but there's some club up in, uh, oh, Dingbats. I've been there a few times. Ravens playing there in November. Well, anyway, it was a club I'm sure you've heard of called City Gardens, and I've been there many times. And Overkill, S.O.D., and Heathen's Rage, who maybe you heard of, they were playing there. S.O.D. was doing like a little seven-day tour to promote the uh, Speak English for Die album, and they dubbed it the Metalcore Tour. So I thought that would be a great name for a fanzine because, you know, obviously the crossover thing was big then, you know, with DRI, put out that uh, VHS tape, you know, live at the Ritz and all that. So, yeah, my first issue was, my funny, because my dad, was when he was writing at the Inquirer, he, he was writing on a typewriter. It's like, and, and, and I guess he would like, I don't know, he, I guess he was faxing the stuff in. My first issue was half-sized with no pictures, and my, I was using my dad's typewriter. <laughs> so, so my first couple issues, then the second issue, I it was Xerox still. I made 150 copies. I think I have still like two upstairs in my apartment. But issue two was full size. That had you know, it was a, I had somebody draw me a cover, and it was a picture of a metalhead and a punk guy with a mohawk shaking hands. You know, I had I believe I, I know Dream Death was interviewed in there. I think Anvil Bitch. Even and a couple other bands and then like you know since the first couple issues were on a typewriter then word process came out and like I thought that was the greatest thing since sliced bread because you know on a typewriter if you make a mistake you gotta go get the fucking white out you gotta wait it out and type it back over mm -hmm. well when word process came out you could read what you're writing and if you miss something you could go back correct it and then you would print it out so yeah, I was doing about like 300 copies of them. And of course, eventually it would start bumping up a little bit more. And I was doing like 400 and 500. And of course, you know, mail started pouring in after a couple issues. In the beginning, I had, you know, I had all the mail coming to my house. But at some point, it just got to be so overwhelming. The mailman would be ringing the doorbell all the time. I knew getting a P.O. box, which was 622. And God, I must have had that thing for probably close to over 20 years. I mean, I would have to go there every day. When I opened the key up, I would have the little key inside the box because I was getting packages from so many pens. And then, of course, record labels were sending stuff. Something I wanted to ask you about was uh, what we do on the show. We've been interviewing artists and different people for a few years now, and um, we, we do about one interview a week. Uh, the amount of research we do... It's a lot, but we have like Encyclopedia Metallum, Discogs, Wikipedia. There's everybody has social media nowadays, like you said, Facebook and all that sort of thing. And I wanted to ask you back in the day doing interviews how you would be able to do research, but it sounds like zines like yourself 
were the only form of research available for fans because we didn't have metallum or anything like that so it's so the labels would actually send you promotional material in hopes that you would disseminate that to the underground fans right yep what would happen would be you you basically would have to like all right perfect example dream death they didn't they were not signed you i believe i mean i would have to run upstairs and look but I was. I remember the Journey into Mystery album came out. They were on New Renaissance. They were kind of like a death doomish band from Pittsburgh, PA. Yeah, they I- sent me their demo. Now it might have been their album might have come out or whatever. But if if let's just say for argument's sake, their album had come out. Yeah, when when New Renaissance sends out their cassette, you know, yeah, they put a a press release in there and it t- it'll tell you a little bit about the band's history who's in the band and all that, and maybe a little bit about their history, whether, you know, because I know they had a demo. I know that because I got that to review and I became very good friends, you know, pen pals with one of the band members and we would write to each other back and forth. And I was really happy that they got a record deal. Of course, they were on a shitty label, but, uh, you know, yeah, New Renaissance was horrible. I mean, that, that you know, but yeah, you, you'd only really be able to rely on if it was somebody you were a pen pal with for a while, you might know some stuff about his history. But other than that, yeah, you would rely on. If it, yeah, you would have to rely on a uh, a bio, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, sometimes it wouldn't make for the it wouldn't make for the most easiest of interviews because you only had there was only a certain amount of material unless you would call the guy up prior and you sit there and talk to him for ten minutes and then you said. Oh, all right, well, I'm going to mail you off some questions. Thanks for giving me some, uh, you know, a little bit of info. But, yeah, in, you know, or unless you were doing, you know, and sometimes, you know, in some of my interviews later on, I would do by, like, my dad would get, I would, I got his little cassette thing. And these were on, these weren't on regular cassettes. These were on these little, little small, small ones. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. I would interview the bands at the show. Now, when you and I were setting up just this phone call tonight, we went back and forth uh, emailing for the last few weeks just to set it up. I imagine that sort of exchange was a lot more difficult years ago when maybe all you had was a landline phone and possibly um, an answering machine. Uh, was was there ever any, any like real headaches going back and forth with people and maybe missing somebody, missed connections, uh, booking interviews years ago? Um, Looking back, I really can't remember offhand, but... What I would do is, I mean, obviously back then, I was pretty good friends with a lot of, uh, well, I shouldn't have friends. I had good relationships with all the PR people at the record labels. And, you know, obviously I would, call, at that point, you don't, you don't write them a letter. If I need to pick the phone up to go, uh, if I wanted to go see Dark Angel and Possessed at like City Gardens and I was going to interview Gene Hoagland. Yeah, I would pick up the phone and call the PR person at Combat and, you know, let them know they would know who I am. I mean, I don't think they sent that many promos out, but because they, I had a repertoire with them because I've had enough issues out, and I would let them know, can you put me on the guest list for the City Garden show? I want to do an interview with Gene Hoagland. And I guess they would let the tour manager know that, you know, Gene has an interview with Chris Forbes, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, I, yeah, I got to know Gene pretty well because I'd seen Dark Angel enough times. She kind of just knew me by looking at me at one point. So, 
But no, it wasn't that bad. I mean, I, I had most of the phone numbers to all the PR people. Yeah, I don't think the PR people changed very much back then, you know, because remember, there was only a few record labels back then, you know, as far as indie labels. It wasn't that many, you know. And if it was just demo bands, yeah, you would just go up to them, introduce yourself, maybe get a demo from them. And, you know, you yeah, you'd have to listen to some of the songs and, you know, but back then, like when I first started the Z now, yeah, but my interviews were pretty pretty bad. They they were just basically <laughs> fourteen, fifteen questions, you know. It evolved better and later on I started getting away from just interviewing bands and I started interviewing other zine editors, label people, and I started making the interviews a lot longer. So instead of just sending a you know a, you know a fifteen, seventeen or eighteen question typical generic interview to, you know, Joe Blow, my interviews were getting longer. You know, and they were getting more detailed. Yeah, and, you know? and, and on, on that note, you just mentioned interviewing um, other zine people and label people, and I should note that um, you've been doing interviews that appear on Extremal.com, E-X-T-R-E-M-I-N-A-L.com. And you recently interviewed Marco Barbieri, who's now label president of Century Media. But you've actually known him and corresponded with him since he was an underground zine editor uh, like yourself, right? But, well, let me correct you. He doesn't own Century Media. He's a record. He, he owns that M Audio Theory record label. Okay. Of, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. I can't, yeah. he, he was label president of Century I, Media at one point. He, yeah. yeah, he was pretty high up on the on the. Like, as far as Central Media goes, yeah, he was very, very high up. That interview, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I knew Marco. I didn't, like you said, I'm sure you probably read the interview. That thing would have been 150 questions if I started talking about the fans. So I did, I just asked him a couple of questions. But, I mean, he went from no glam fags, which was like, you know, just a typical fanzine, to like a literature, which was in like some record stores. At one point, mm -hmm. he had color covers. I remember he had Kerry King on one of it. He probably was doing like twenty thousand copies of that at one point. Yeah, and then he went from there, I think, to Metal Blade, and then he was working for Nuclear Blast, and then it was Central Media. Yeah, so he was uh, Metal Blade. He was signing bands. Are there yeah. other people? Do you know other people who've had similar trajectories that? At one point, you were corresponding with them just on a, an underground level, but you've seen them kind of make moves in the music business? Yeah, Ed Farsley. Uh, he uh, did the Book of Marmageddon fanzine. This is like back in the 80s. He, uh, <clears throat> he became an intern over at Road Racer, and then he was helping sign a couple bands there. This was in early 90s during that whole death metal era. But he wasn't too happy when they started dropping all the death metal bands. But uh, he started his own record label with, uh, I forget, I think it might have been Joe Pupo, P-U-P-O, but don't quote me on that. And they put out Rage Records, and they did a bunch of 7-inches. And they put out, I think, a, a, oh, they put the Primeval uh, demos on CD, which was cool. Because there's, there's one band that I cannot for the life of me understand why they did not get signed. They, they put out some really good music. They put out a bunch of demos. For whatever reason, no record labels would just go in and take that bite from them. They were a really good band. 
So Ed, Ed decided to put their demos at a few years ago on CD, which was really cool. And the funny thing about it is, so now he is a promoter and he put shows on up in New York. Matter of fact, he just booked at the Seat show that was up in New York last weekend. Yeah, he, I've, uh, I've met I've met Ed. He's booked a lot of really great events uh, going on here in, in Long Island and New York City for a long time now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a uh, he would he was going to have a big show on September 11th. I was going to come up for that, but he got canceled to COVID, so it's next year. So, but mm-hmm. Ed just has a it's called the the Book of Armageddon. Uh, it's going to be on uh, Thrashback Records. It's called The Book of Armageddon. It's like a uh, compilation. Because I just got back a Thrashbacks uh, interview today, and they just got the copies of that in. So that should be out soon. I have John Berica, who, I mean, he was really cool to interview. I've known him for like 30 years. He would videotape. Like, we, had, we had a club around here called G. Workers, and this woman, Annie Bowman, would bring it. She bought a nuclear death from Arizona to play this club. Mm-hmm. I mean... She, she bought a pain eater from Florida. I mean, she bought down like Incantation. This is before they even had albums now. Immolation would play there just when they had demos out. Like all these bands, like I, I Revenant could, would I, come down. I could be so, wrong. I mean, we interviewed Mortal yeah. Decay, and I believe Mortal Decay might have talked about that place. I'm not sure, though. Yeah, they're from South Jersey, so that would yeah. be their... Uh, but this is like in the, like the late 80s. This place was like a, a shill. And like Gorophobia <laughs> played there. I mean, but she would be bringing all these crazy out of town deceased played there. This is before, these are when they had demos out. Mm-hmm. So these aren't even, these, like, you know, I mean, Pain Eater was two guys in the band, and I guess they must have recruited somebody else to play in the band from Florida. Nobody, I think, I don't think Morbid Angel played there, but like, uh, trying to think, like, not this, not the aside, but there was a couple other bands. Like, she booked a lot of shows. That, like and John videotaped a lot of them. You know, he would go around with his video camera and videotape a lot of stuff. He won't tell me, but I know Slayer on their South of Heaven tour wanted to play or no Seasons in the Abyss. They wanted to play a couple club shows before they went over and toured over in Europe before they would tour America and they played the truck down here in Philly. Well there's a balcony up there. He filmed the whole show with a freaking fans <laughs> broke the pipe in the club and all that. And <laughs> it was insanity what happened. Wow. Yes, I'm still out here. Oh, it was crazy, but I mean he was a I mean he would he interviewed a lot of a lot of stuff that's on his YouTube page and all that. So that was a really cool interview to do. An- another difference, you're talking about the old days, just printing up the zines. Uh, you talked a little bit before about how at one point you switched to newsprint because it was cheaper, and you've talked about yourself and other zine editors printing up print runs of thousands of uh, zines. I've also heard of people like running off photocopies at their job, uh, things like that. I mean, we had FedEx Kinkos back in the 90s when, when I was experimenting with this sort of thing. Could you just tell us a little bit about how you evolved the printing process when you were printing physical zines and did you ever do any of that kind of guerrilla stuff, like like running them off at, at a job you had, you know, at night or anything like that? I don't know. I would the the ads I would run off at my job. At, I used to work over at Garden State Park doing security there. I would run some of my ads off at there down the copier, not too many, but I would run off some, you know, there at night. My friend Eddie worked at uh, Kinko's 
overnight. So he nice. was he was print me out. He would print me out my copies of my zine there. Not all of them. I would go somewhere to get like a. I would go to Staples to get like a couple hundred run up. If I started to run low, he would print me out some copies. He would print me out some ads. The idea to go to newsprint, basically, I'm sure you heard of him, was the Grimoire of Exalted Deeds. Yes, with, the infamous. Uh, up. When he was yes. doing ten thousand, and we, I was talking to him one day, and he was just like, "Oh, it's so much easier to get ads when you're running out ten thousand copies." And I asked around. I found a local company that was newsprint, and the, the price wasn't too bad. And because I that was issue twenty five, I started. Well, because I had already put in twenty five issues out, it was no problem getting ads. So, and then that's what I did. And I would, yeah, I would go there when when they you know they told, they called me, they would say me your your magazine's done. I would go over there, I'd load the back seat up, I'd load the trunk up. And the first place I would go would be right at the vintage vinyl to drop off like a. So there's a thousand I would drop off right there. So there's ten percent right off the bat that would go. And I'd wait like another month and I'd go back up there again. They all be gone. The, the people up there had no problem because I was selling them, uh, selling my zine there before. So there was a door to go in and there was a door to go out. And I just would leave two huge sacks of five hundred right there, and people. Obviously, naturally, metalheads would would shop there. It was mostly underground people. Yeah, I'm freezing, and they would know it's free, so they would grab it. So I would probably get rid of twenty percent of my fanzines right in that one store. And like I said, I would go to when I would go to shows, I'd stand outside like at City Gardens or whatever, and I would just hand out copies. You know, there's six or seven hundred people at a show. Yeah, here I'd get I'd get rid of five hundred at a city garden show, you know. Or if I'm at the Trocadero in Philly, I, I could probably get rid of a couple hundred there. Or like I said, if a band was selling their stuff and I knew who they were, I'd bring maybe like fifty copies in for them. People would just take them, or I'd stand by their merchandise stand for a little while and I'd say, "Here, have a zine." So it was no problem in the beginning. I thought there's no way I'm going to get rid of these, but it really was not a problem, you know. But I wouldn't. 10,000 was the most I was going to go. I wasn't going to try to go to like 15 or whatever. I think that would have been a little bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Chris, uh, you know, we really appreciate your time and we do want to be respectful of your time. But one last thing that we always ask guests before we let them off the hook, we ask you to recommend one newer release and one older release by any bands you like. And just, just, just a casual recommendation for us and the listeners, something old and something new. Uh, that you've been getting into. That might be hard for you because you probably hear so much different stuff through the week. Ooh, let me think. Well, old release, I'm going to get into something that a lot of people probably haven't. It just it was Blessed Death's second album. I think it's Extinction for... I forget, I forget off the top of my head what it's called, but um, that's a new release. And I actually haven't heard it yet, but... Uh, deceased have a album coming out of thrash covers called thrash times at Ridgemount high huh. that i'm sure will be great and that they do blessed awesome. death on there so and great. they're not just doing typical thrash bands like blessed deaths on there so yeah. that that uh that and i'm trying to think of a new album because i was just reviewing some stuff today i mean I can't think of an album offhand. I'm sure the new Immolation album will be great, but 
I would say the best record label right now, if you're looking to buy stuff in America, by far is Hell's Head Magnus out of Ohio. Okay. Most of the stuff, they, most of the stuff they put out is like I would say is like combat and noise and stuff like that back in the day. They put a lot of old school metal stuff out. Once in a while, they'll put out like something that's like to me. I would say it's generic black metal or whatever, but. Nine times out of ten, if you buy something from them, it's going to be good or great. They're a really good record label. Like they put a lot of good stuff. Like he signs a lot of great stuff. Well, perfect example. Nunslaughter has been on that record label for like twenty years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, old classic, yeah. old school band. Still going. And hard. I have, I have a, and I have a, an interview with them coming out in Extremal.com too. I have an interview with Nunslaughter. Yeah, yeah, Nunslaughter, yeah. long-running band. I've have seen them active uh, very much so lately, playing live again and stuff too. Really inspiring. Well, there you go. There's there you go. Their new album I just got like two weeks ago to review. That would be a great new release to grab. They put it, they have a new release. It's probably out now. It's on Hell's Headbangers. But uh, but yeah, I think anybody could check out the Blessed Death and just type. I'm sure you'll know after I get off the podcast. But I believe it's it's uh, but yeah it's blessed death. Uh, I believe it's some for extinction. But their first album is called Killer Be Killed. But but if you type blessed death in, the third album isn't that great. But either one of those two albums is great. They're from North Jersey, great band. But the new Nunslaughter album is really good. I, I heard that on Hell's Headbangers the other day. And when that deceased album comes out. Last times at, at uh, Richmond High, <laughs> I'm sure that's going to be great. High rack, they do high racks, blessed death, like lethal aggression. Who well, I'm sure you maybe heard of. That was a band from down by Seaside Heights. They put a demo out. I don't know if I'm from the cunt to the fucking whore. That was like a classic demo way back in the day. Unfortunately, the singer passed away. I think it was a drug overdose or whatever. But they do a cover of them on there. So like King and the Boys don't just pick. Estimate, you know, the typical thrash bands, Exodus. I mean, they're doing real underground thrash metal bands. Like you won't, you won't hear Testament or, you know, like I said, you know, even like Death Angel, the Death, you know, bands even below the Big Four, they do like the real underground thrash metal bands, which is I can't I, wait to hear it. I it's going to be. I was any... talking. I was talking to King over the weekend. It's going to be out in a couple of weeks, and it's on Hell's Headbangers. So they're also on Hell's Headbangers. I wouldn't expect anything less from King Fally. We, we, yeah, we, uh, we had King Fally on the show um, almost a year ago. Now it was for Halloween last year. Hard to believe it's been almost a year now. But um, yeah, yeah. Very, very good to hear but about that. that be, uh, I cannot wait to hear that. And some people even say, I think he does. They do Painkiller. And that guy, Larry, the singer, does like a lot of these high screams. It and people were asking King, I want to hear you do that. I mean, but yeah, I mean, if people all you do is just go on YouTube and type in "Blessed Death," like you know, thrash band or whatever, and those two albums, "Killer Be Killed" and the second album, which is it's like a total speed metal classic, that'll pop up. And I'm anybody that likes thrash will freaking go ballistic over that. Okay, and, and people can also go, we should mention, to E-X-T-R-E-M-I-N-A-L, Extreminal.com, uh, to catch up on your latest interviews. You also interviewed uh, 
Uh, Kelly Kusiemba from Drone and Quartered, Ritual Sacrifice, as you mentioned, Marco Barbieri. You have a lot of interviews uh, out already and coming up and reviews. You're working through Extreminal.com now. Um, Chris Forbes of Metalcore Zine and Extreminal.com. Just any um, parting words for people who followed your work and read your work uh, and listeners of our show. Well, I, thanks a lot for having me. Uh, it was great, uh, you know, reminiscing about the old days. And speaking of ritual sacrifice, real quick, I interviewed them because Vic Records is putting out their album that was recorded 25 years ago that never got released. And that is a good album. Awesome. So that's, Vic, that's, Vic, Vic Records puts out a lot of unreleased stuff. That's how I got hold of them because I got a promo of that. And I type, you know, I type their name in on Facebook. They have a Facebook page. I reached out to the guy. I sent him the questions over. And friggin' like four or five days later, he sent them back. But that is another fantastic record. But yeah, they recorded an album, and the label went under. And that album's been sitting somewhere for twenty-five years. Too many but, uh, stories like that. As far as parting words, I, I mean, listen, I appreciate the, the support you guys. Uh, you know, I've given the underground over the years. I mean, obviously podcasts were unheard of years ago, but look, they're, they're part of, you know, you can't, as much as it, the olden days was great and writing letters and, and, you know, waiting for the mailman to come and all that. Yeah, those days were great. You know, for someone like me and even someone like you to a point, you can't take those days away. However, you got to grow up and move on. And, you know, listen, podcasts are great because someone that's listening to this, you know, maybe it'll go listen to Blessed Death. Maybe it'll go check out Ritual Sacrifice. Maybe it'll check out Nunslaughter. They have like 150 releases out. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's. Listen, Facebook is great. I've I've reconnected with uh, hundreds of, of you know people from you know years back and stuff like that. And you know, like I would never be able to interview Marco if it wasn't for Facebook. What am I going to do? I can't do a phone interview with him. That thing would take me hours to transcribe. You, I mean, you saw the answers he gives. Mm -hmm. There'd be no way for me to do that. So, I mean, Facebook and emails in, in different ways are a great tool. And, you know, you got to take advantage of stuff like that. You can't just sit there and say, oh, screw, I'm not going to do emails or anything like that. I mean, that's, you know, I'd be like some band saying, well, we don't have any social media pages. Well, then, then what are you in a band for? <laughs> But, no, in closing, you know, thanks a lot for having me on the, the show. I really appreciate it. It was great, uh, you know, talking about the olden days and even more into the newer stuff I'm doing now. And, yeah, I'm doing more stuff on Extremo right now than my Metalcore page because, you know, he's able to get the interviews up quicker. You know, he's, you know, like I said, then he branched off and was asking if I wanted to do some reviews, which was cool with me. And now he's asking me to do a spot fly playlist which i'm cool with because i try to mix up the stuff on there too so you know he's really you know his his website's really cool too you know it seems like they get a lot of hits on that page and all that and uh you know if you want send me over a link when when this will be available somewhere and i'll i'll, I'll try to share it as many places as i possibly can and uh you know obviously i like to promote your uh, guys podcast as well too my friend Absolutely, man. We yeah, we usually um we produce it and then uh, it, it'll go up in about two weeks probably. So I'll, I'll be in touch and I'll shoot you another email and um I'll send you the link uh, to share, man. We definitely appreciate it, dude. 
All right. And if anybody, uh, if any bands out there are listening here, and if they want to send me some stuff to review, I'm always open to hearing uh, bands. I'm not just interested in uh, you know listening to signed bands. I'm unsigned bands are more than welcome to me too. Anybody that listens on this or has a comment or anything wants to shoot me a email, my email is metal, M-E-T-A-L-C, and then Z-I-N-E at AOL.com. Awesome. Chris Forbes, we thank you very much, brother. You have a great night. Uh, You too, my friend. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much to our guest this evening, Chris Forbes of Metalcore Zine, and as he said, extremal.com, E-X-T-R-E-M-I-N-A-L, if you want to hear, uh, if you want to read, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm too modern, I'm too young, if you want to go back and read some interviews with artists such as um, Ritual Sacrifice, Kelly Kusiemba from Drawn and Quartered, who I have reached out to, man, Kelly, holler at me, man, I guess he's just, he's old school, he's doing busy guy, man, runs. Yeah. it's all good, love you anyway. Uh, and many and many other artists and uh, metal entities. Um, we appreciate his insight and taking us back in time to a land before the internet, land before time. Mm-hmm. You know, Fantastic. if I wanted to to holler at you guys back in the day and talk about metal, it would have just been like us talking on the phone, and no one yeah. else could hear it. And it would have just like we would have been taught like, "Yo, Tom, I got a, I got this cassette tape that's totally non ironic because it's a state of the art." piece of technology today. Well, if what you're segueing to is the uh, voicemail line that we have set up where you can call, uh, we do have participants. Oh, oh, okay. Well, in that in that case, Tom. Somebody called on us? Yeah. Th- let me let me park the segue. Hey, guys. Just started listening to this week's uh, podcast, and I had to pause it right in the middle and give you a call. Um, this one goes out to Tom Bourdain. Uh giving Pequod's a shout-out for having incredible uh, cornbread and tomato paste. Yeah, that's right. Pequod's is the best. Thanks for giving them a shout-out and all the uh, the praises. Love you guys. Kind of keep putting out a good uh, podcast. Hey, uh, anytime, Pequod's, the finest of uh, whatever I was dealing with in Chicago with pizza. <laughs> shout-out. No, it was a great place. It really was. All right. I'm having fun. Uh, yeah, I like to have a good time. All right, man. We got to shout out places more. Hell yeah, dude. Thanks for the shout out of the shout out. Shout out, yeah. shout out. Yeah. I just want to shout you out for shouting that out, man. Hell yeah. Shout out Lunchables. Hey, guys. This is Ross. Long time listener, long time follower. And I got a few things to say. God, yes. First, this is the best metal podcast. This is the only one worth listening to. We know. It's not Don't, even close. Thank you. No shit. More importantly, you talk about Vital Remains, but there's no mention of the first two classic albums. Let Us Pray is beautiful, and Into Cold Darkness is also beautiful. End event. Talk about <laughs> early Vital Remains. Yeah. Newer stuff. 
Golderson Remains from Australia. Hoped you would talk about it with Max. It didn't happen, so here I am. Sorry. Yeah. Other newer stuff. Succumb from go. California. Grindy yeah. Death. Nah, hard to say. Sick band, sick music, dark metal. Thanks for your show. Thanks for every ounce of work you put into it. Thanks for everything. Bye. Ah, oh, that was nice, Ross. Thank you. Oh, thank, thank you, Ross. We big, appreciate it, man. A big Ross guy. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go right in here and say that we have brought up Vital Remains a few times on the show. I am a Dave Suzuki fan. I don't even know if I am a Vital Remains fan because I only really like that era of the band. Yeah. Um, maybe I've been um, hesitant because I know he's not on some of the other material. I don't know. You know, I haven't really explored. I can't really weigh in. I just really like that man's uh, playing. Uh, I'll admit that Vital Remains is a band I probably should look more into. I've heard their material. Obviously, I've heard Dechristianize. Um, but, but yeah, bottom line, I need to go back and listen to some Vital Remains and be able to differentiate their albums better. That's a little bit of a, um, a flaw in my uh, my death metal arsenal right there, man. We, we should cover Vital Remains on the show, and I would look forward to doing the research. Absolutely. Hell yeah, I just heard of this band called Vital Remains. I'm going to check them out. <laughs> <laughs> Succumb is great, though. Dude, that's good. To come from California. Hey, this is Bobby. Great fan of the podcast. Recent fan of the podcast. I just had a few album suggestions. Hey, Bobby. Uh, for a new album, the band Rapture from Greece. Uh, the album is called Malevolent Demise Incarnation. It was released this year, 2021. And it is just a thrash death masterpiece. Pummeling. Check it out. And then an older release I'd like to recommend is Internal Suffering, Awakening of the Rebel from 2006. That guy's voice makes me cringe. <laughs> there you go. Mm, okay, man. Thank you, Bobby. We appreciate you listening. Uh, wow, Internal Suffering. Uh, with the yeah, Kind of like a little bit of a later on... From my perception, Internal Suffering album, Awakening the Rebel. I remember, because I've talked on the podcast before about how Internal Suffering, obviously a Colombian band, was based out of New York City. They were living in New York City in the early 2000s, and I got the opportunity to see them live and perform. Uh, you know, my, my old band Biolich would play shows with them and stuff like that. Many times, more times than I have the right to. Because they're such an amazing international act. <laughs> I've seen internal. I, I feel guilty for how many times I got to see internal stuff. Nice guys too. Andreas and Fabio is the singer you're thinking of, sir. I believe. Um, really, yeah. That that's an interesting album. I, I remember it's. It was kind of like a, a little bit of a leap forward into like more modern death metal production for the time for them, man. So that's that's a really good recommendation that you kind of just plucked my heartstring with right there, man. So that's what, what was the one from Greece? He said, uh, Rapture. Okay. The album is called Malevolent Demise. Or... All right. Awesome. All right. Yeah, I got to check that out. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks, Bobby. Appreciate the uh, voicemail. Next caller. Hey there. It's Bobby again. I meant to include one other one in the first voicemail, but I forgot. 
an even older release that I would definitely suggest that I almost never hear anybody mention nowadays. This guy's a great Demonic voice. Sacrifice, Enter the Realm of Pure Darkness from 1997. Really good old school death metal band from Rochester. Kind of in the vein of Baphomet, maybe little touches of internal bleeding, definitely some incantation influence there. Alright, y'all doing a great job. Keep it up. Heavy hold. Wow, Bobby. Oh, yeah. Bobby on the check-in twice. I, you know, I'm going to go on a limb here. I've never said this about any voicemail lever, any voicemail listener. Bobby should start his own podcast. What a good voice. That is a great voice. Bobby's got the, Bobby's got the voice for This is the best yeah. production of a, of, a, of a voicemail we've ever heard. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the necrophagist of voicemail voices. Exactly. Yeah. It's not too old. It's not too modern. It's right in that sweet spot, you know, yeah. really uh, organic production. And some would say it has classical influences. At the risk of robbing our podcast of precious voicemails, I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that Bobby start his own podcast where he recommends death metal bands. He's obviously in the game. He knows the deal. But listen, we'll accept your voicemails proudly until that day comes, sir. But I, I gotta commend that. I gotta commend that. that's all. That's yeah, it. demonic sacrifice. It's uh, what the translate says here. Gotta check that out. I guess. We go, yeah. Uh, Baphomet and internal bleeding. No internal suffering, sir. No, no. He says internal bleeding. Um, oh, that was on the second voice. Right, mail. the second voicemail that we just heard. That th- these are the influences that he's. This is the confusion about. that was sown across the tri-state area in the early 2000s when both internal bleeding and internal suffering operated out of the New York area. Not to mention the fact that at the same time, immortal flesh and immortal suffering were active bands. It was, it was a wild, it was, it was the wild west out here, but it was the east. It was crazy. Yeah, I know like seven people named Adam. Yeah. Yeah, it piles. It gets, you know. Yeah, there's only one that makes backyard gore movies, though, all right? Big shout to the boy, all right? Love that man. All right, we got an important one coming. God bless now. Adam Rotella. Um, I think I already know who it is. Well, just, just based on uh, just based on the, the yeah, we got a, <laughs> let got a nice. Uh, this this is a lengthy one. Ooh. Good. Oh, good. Heavy hole. How you doing? It's Tony Baldon. Oh. And you know, I figured I'd call this time around, and I would see uh, what you guys would do with a death metal dream team. Tony Paldon's dream team would be the following. All right, and I, I do would like to hear what uh, each of y'all's dream team would be. All right? What the Tony Paldon's dream team would be, <laughs> Lily Gruber behind the kit. He defeated Sanity over in Germany. God bless him. Lord Worm, Canadian boy behind the microphone. Robert Vignan of Immolation on guitar. And Senji Kakazuki of Intestine Bowism. Guy's beautiful, brutal, melody, can't be beat. And then they had a little, uh, a little humor, a little fun to the band. I would have Steve-O from Impetigo on bass. So like I said, I'd love to hear what your dream team, the 1992 Olympic dream team would be, but in death metal from each one of y'all, all right? And also, finally, I would like to address 
this guy that called in a couple episodes ago. Vinny Pacciarelli, Patricelli. Who the hell is this guy? Talking about Tony Baldone. Why, why are you talking about Tony Baldone, all right? But hey, I'm here to respond. Tony Baldone realizes that uh, this Vinny character, he's got a brain in his head because he said he wants to do business with Tony Baldone. All right. All right, he's a smart guy. But it's just something about the guy. He's rubbing me the wrong way. I don't know. I don't like him. First off, he mentions Spumani Gardens. Overrated. All right, you want pizza? You're in South Brooklyn. You go to Bay Ridge. That's where the good pizza is. A shout out to Rocco's. Bay Ridge Pizza. All right. Secondly, he's talking about Staten Island sitting by the water, smoking a cigar in Staten Island. Staten Island. Listen, Staten Island, the place is a garbage dump. It's oh. built off garbage. There's garbage everywhere, dude. It's, it's, everyone there is garbage. Right? Well, you know, it's like... Uh, there's a couple of things that I just, I don't know. It's like, uh, you want to. Yeah, he, uh, the, there's a three minute, uh, cap on the voicemail. And Tone Baldone has reached it. I feel like he had more to say, but we're, wow. uh, we don't know. I'm kind of glad just because it was good. I don't know where that was going legally with the, the talk about Vinny. You know what I just realized? I think he's Italian. Uh, allegedly, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to wade into anything <laughs> about his that man's background, and personal be. life. I don't want to, I don't want to expose anything. Uh, I, I don't want to put myself, and I do kind of look like a white version of the character prop Joe from The Wire. I don't want to put myself in that position where I'm like brokering a meeting between Stringer Bell and Omar, and I'm propped. That that was if you watch The Wire. I'm 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 dangerously close to being in that position where I'm the middleman brokering a deal between Vinny Patricelli and um, uh, Tony Baldon. Yeah, I I don't know. Should I should mm. I try to? Because I I don't want this to get any any uglier. Shout out to Staten Island, by the way. Yeah, I, 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 mean, love I, our, I love our Staten Island listeners. I like you, folks. I have cousins there. I don't visit, but I know they're not made of garbage. Yeah, I don't want to know why you don't visit them. Yeah, I don't like them, but they're not made of garbage. Yeah, it's not, it has nothing to do with where they're Well, maybe yeah. a little bit where they're from, but Touch not, not, not yeah. a lot. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's tons of podcasts out there to choose from, and I just want to thank you for choosing ours to yeah. potentially set up an eventual business meeting that you will conduct that we will have no part of. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, at all, on, on the record. It's like a... Um, oh, boy. It's like a misconnection <laughs> yeah. f- for uh, Connected. Yeah, I got a misconnection. I don't know. Yeah. Is that a term for Italian men that are uh, in the mob? I got a misconnection yeah, with it's the like, Yeah, it's like uh, how it's made, not here. Right. <laughs> so but one thing that uh, that Tone Baldone was mentioning was our dream teams. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, haven't thought about that since I was about 17. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Mm. It's a fun little hypothetical game to play. Yeah, you guys want to play this game? I've got a minute. Uh, I'll play it for the podcast. Uh, Why not? Let me go off the top of my head. Drummer. Here's a question. I'm going to get controversial. 
All I had to do was construct a dream dream team band. And you're already bringing in drum machines. Uh, no, no. You don't know where I'm going. <laughs> you, thought, you thought you could fool the fox, but you, you couldn't outfox me. I'm getting crazy now. Has there been... And I'm really thinking of before and after None So Vile, the album blew up. Has there been a drummer who whose style and who what they brought to the table changed death metal as much as Flo Monier since Flo Monier became like world world worldwide known and recognized. Um I mean no but there's been other people who have distinct styles. I don't think changing oh, yeah, yeah. you know, I don't really but, I mean in terms of influence and and in terms of distinct change that you could really go back and like measure. I mean, if you if you go to like the early two thousands where death metal drumming was, and compare it to like you know mid nineties before Cryptopsy blew up. I mean, and then you know you could always go back to like the first Brutal Truth album, Malicious Hate. There's a few random other things you could go back to with that that speed of drumming. But put the speed of the blast beats aside. How he sped up the speed of the blast beats in the double bass. <laughs> Flo's frantic kind of jazz inflection. I mean, you hear that man drum and you know it's him. I mean, I'm just trying to, I'm yeah. like really trying to say, I'm not trying to be defiant. I'm asking you, is there any drummer in death metal or grindcore that has really changed the game that much, you know, since he came out? No. Right? I, I don't think so. I'm just trying to be honest. I'm yeah, not, I'm horrible with names. I don't even listen to Cryptopsy since like None So Vile, pretty much. But, yeah, like, you don't even know. What I'm not. Doing. I'm not like a stand for this guy. I'm yeah. just trying to say, really. Like, no, I mean changing it. I don't know. Well, he pushed it what to its like do? extremist limits when it comes to like speed and um, versatility and inflection, and then everything else is up you, in the wind. You gotta you know? play slower. I would say that Lily Gruber is a contender. I don't know that he's had that. And he has a huge reach. Everybody knows Defeated Sanity. I'm just saying in terms of... We haven't seen yet the next generation of <clears throat> drummers come up that try to emulate and change the game yeah, with well, his style. Yeah, yet. and I agree with you based on the fact that like you have um, how slow change can be. Like If you're looking at it in, in the term of steps, the metaphorical steps, like you have... Flo Monier creating a whole flight of stairs, and then you have a lot yeah. of other people creating one or two steps here or there. We could look back and all right. So uh, the whole my whole reason for this is I thought it was like kind of an easy go to thing. But yeah, if I had a dream team, I would put Flo on drums. There you Ooh, go. I mean, it's just the easy answer, I guess. I don't know. Um, guitar. I'm going to go. Let's see. So with flow, you're having a really fast kind of jazz-inflected crazy bend. Um, I'm gonna write mine down. So I don't have to think. Yeah, this is hard, bro. This is, this is hard work. I don't like this. I'm not gonna use names. Dude, uh, Eddie Van Halen, of course. Uh, yeah, right. Um, I'm gonna go. It's like, come on. No, you know what? I'm gonna go on. Um, oh, I can't, no, I can't think of his name. Just say uh, the band, because that's Who's what I'll... the guy from Hated Turtle? Eric Rutan. Yeah, okay. Eric Rutan on guitar. Um, James Murphy on lead guitar. So I, w I want James Murphy on lead, Eric Rutan on rhythm and lead. 
but James Murphy's the primary lead guy. Uh, Flo Monier on drums, on bass, Tony Choi um, from the Pestilence album and the Atheist album and everything else. Um, vocals. It's your dream, man. Why don't you be vocals? Yeah. You're pretty good. People like you. My dream. I might dream. <laughs> I'm the vocalist. Um, uh, well, because I don't want to say Lord Worm, because then it's just the two parts of Cryptopsy that everybody knows. And I also don't want to steal that from Tone Baldone. Um, yeah. Sylvain from Cataclysm. And there you go. Bing bong. We're, we're out. There you go. Sylvain from Cataclysm on vocals. Eric Rutan on, on guitar. James Murphy on lead guitar. Tony Choi on bass and flow on drums. It's a heavy metal music dream come true. Yeah. You got yours, Tom? Uh, no, I'm actually, I'm just kind of, I mean, I mentioned Dave Suzuki before, so you put him on guitar. Okay. Because he just does it well. And then uh, you have, I, I don't know, uh, I think his name is, he goes by Skits, the guy who plays, um, the in Dam- guy. Yeah, the Australian guy who plays in Damaged and played in King Parrot for a bit. I like mm. his style. He's super rushed uh, in a good way. He seems to be on top of it. Alex Webster, kind of default pick for a lot of bass players, I yeah, think. that's a good bass player. Um, no second guitar player. I just want to hear Dave Suzuki. And then uh, who's on the vocals there? Who's squawking away from me? Let's put Paulo on there. Why not? He's hey. good. He's, that would be a cool band. That no, might not win the metal competition <laughs> that we've created by <clears throat> stating this dream team. Because I mean, a team well, does imply competition. My, my theory is that a dream team isn't necessarily going to write a great album. Yeah, and I only... No, you can't have all top draft picks. You know what I mean? You need some fucking depth players. Can, yeah. can I just say... I'm just going to say a loose statement right now. I believed less in the concept of all-star, like, dream team, you know, casts, teams, or whatever, Mm -hmm. after having to go see Nader Sadek live. It was that bad, eh? Many years ago, yes. Isn't that, like, all the hottest names in death metal? Well, because it was supposed to be a dream team of death metal, and it looked like if you exploited a bunch of death metal musicians and put them in, like, a zoo exhibit. Right. And said, this is what artists who will do whatever I want to give them a check will do. I'm sorry. All right, so anyway, that's it. That's it. But, yeah, Yeah, the the dream team concept, to me, lost value with Nader Sadek. All right, well, speaking Uh, of Nader, how would you, Justin, say that? It's easy, because, like... There was a my dream team was already a band. It was a rat they wrote out of the cellar. Yeah, the best one. Good point. But uh, all the members of Rat, would you change any of the members out? Well, like if I yeah, if I did a death metal dream team, I'd have a uh, Vitek on drums. Right. I have like the guy from the rest of Rat. Yeah, <laughs> Vitek plays drums for Rat. <laughs> I have Vitek on drums. The guy from Rat also on drums. Uh, <laughs> Um, the dude from uh, Cephalic Carnage, like uh, Zeno Sapien bass player. That oh, dude. Uh, Nick, Nick Impossible something. last name guy. Yeah, yeah Nick yeah, Greek yeah. last name. Nick yeah, yeah. Uh, Spenacopita. Yeah, him. Um, he's a he's a good one. I know. I love uh, when I think of guitar players. There's a lot of fast ones. There's a lot of whatevers. But the one who I just love how he writes the songs 
is Gunface from the Red Cord. That's the ringer. That makes a dream team work, in my opinion. And then who's singing? Stephen Pierce from that. All right. I like it. I like yeah. It. That would be uh, pretty gnarly. Yeah. Wow. Let's all just soak in our dream team. Uh, and I'm also I'm the, I'm the second singer. <laughs> and I just go. I sing all the different directions. So there's round and round. There's up and down. There's this way and that. And there's to and fro and back and forth. There's awesome. all these different That's the, actually the those are the five songs on the record. I really want to hear a thrash metal band with George Lynch on guitar and Steve Grimmett on vocals. Mm. Oh yeah. But we could play this game for too day. long. Yeah. It could go on and on and on. Alright, listen. We took your voice notes. We heard from Tom Baldon. God bless that man. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Winter's coming. If you want to uh, you know, write pastel colored ski jackets, ski suit, apparel, the whole thing, they got it up there. I heard they have a nice assortment of mittens and gloves and scarves yeah. for the kids, the little lady, whatever you want to do, you go up there for the for the season. We thank Tony Baldon for his patronage. I got a question for Tony Baldon. When the winter comes, when you shovel in your driveway, if you don't have some guy that does it, do you put your pants over your boots or do you tuck your pants into your boots? Tony Baldon, I don't think, would ever be caught shoveling his own driveway. He's got people that do that that sort of thing for him. My apologies. Yeah, I I don't know. They got some of the younger guys from Brooklyn come up and do it. Well, that's uh, it's good to have kids on the block, as I say. You know, uh, give you newspapers and run down to the uh, corner store to get you a head of lettuce yeah. for the lady. You can also throw hot pepperoni in the driveway; it'll melt that that snow right off. Yep, that's the, kids, the kids are great. The kids are great, but yep. sometimes you got to let those kids know how easy they got it. Because back in the day, mm-hmm. we didn't have no YouTubes, we didn't have no spot flies. Yeah. None of that shit. It, yeah, it was it was a wrap. All we had was a photocopy machine. A typewriter and a cassette tape that we would mail. There was one cassette tape in the whole world, and every metalhead would mail it back and forth. Yeah, and they would kiss it yeah. and send it off to the next No, no listen. Yeah. Shout to Chris Forbes, long-running zine editor, webzine editor, and contributor now to Extreminal.com, still interviewing and reviewing metal after all these years. We appreciate his experience and expertise breaking it down to us how it went down back Hell in the day. Yeah. Uh, before everything was so easy with all these blogs and podcasts and everything. Respect to him, man. Uh, respect to all of our voicemailers. Yeah, Bobby. Double yeah. on the voicemail. Yeah, Bobby double Ross. it up. Yeah. Who else did we miss? We missed a guy. Oh, I don't know if the other Ross. guy left his name. Ross. Yeah, Ross was in there. There was also a guy named Steven who was looking to interview you, but I am not playing his because he left all of his personal information in there. Ooh. No interviews. No interviews. No. No. No, I'm just kidding. I do interviews. Yeah. That's cool. I'll forward it to you. Tom Baldon. Thank you, sir. Thank, Thank you. you. I'm sorry. I do not okay. endorse any comments made on this podcast about Staten Island. Oh, one thing that they did have back when they were doing this paper thing was the phone. We mentioned that before. 631-837-3274. Mm. If you want to leave a voicemail and be famous... Like all those people. <laughs> Tom, I was running to pull. I was I was driving and trying to pull over my car while you said that because I'm listening to this on AM radio. 
and I was swerving into the McDonald's to use the payphone. Wow. What's that number again? 631-837-3274. Thank okay. you. Yeah, Since I'm you... in the time machine, I'm going to go ahead and spill the hot coffee on my lap at Mickey D's so I can mm. get the lawsuit. Yeah, Hell my yeah, uncle dude. from Staten Island actually did that. Oh, really? Yeah. No, he's, he's loaded. He's so rich. It's Staten crazy. Staten Island. Uncle Howie, man. Yeah, so thanks for listening to the Heavy Hole Podcast. You know, you can check us out on uh, all podcast platforms, you know, uh, your Apple Podcasts. You know, uh, we're going to be on YouTube soon. You can check us out on Spotify and any other, uh, you know, uh, resources you have out there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what? Uh, Check out heavyholepodcast.com. You can write a letter to heavyholepodcast.com and uh, I'll reply to you in three to six weeks to see uh, if we have any merch, uh, particularly uh, t shirts, white t shirts, great, selling like absolute spicy pepperones. Uh, Patches you might know. be more expedited than what you mentioned, but yeah, no, we'll all. get you know, next day shipping on me, and uh, yeah, stay tuned uh, for all these drops, merch drops. You know, I, re- I remembered what I was about to say when I had a stroke before. You could go to uh, Heavy Hole, uh, page was a Patreon, patreon.com slash Heavy Hole, yeah, whatever Tom Podcast. just said, go there and spend money. We're back on task with the bonus episodes, we fell off. Sorry, we're gonna squeeze a few extra in, but we're definitely out. On track again. We're going to make it up to you. Don't worry. All right. Tom Baldone's got a couple under the desk for us. Listen. All right. Uh, so that's it, man. We got the Patreon. We got the voicemail. We got everything else. Uh, did I leave anything out? No. Nah, I think you forgot one. Oh.